0: Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I am your host, Pat Wright, and I'm joined today by co-host Grant. Welcome, Grant.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And Grant, we have today a very special and unusual episode of Opera for Everyone. We have not one, but two guests joining us today. We have Elisaveta Ulukovic and Perry Suk. Welcome, you two.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Elisabetta and Perry are opera singers and creators.
3: I'm making big eyes right now.
0: <laughs> yes, I know. This is, this is an audio medium, so you have to narrate any of the visuals that we're missing. <laughs> and we will be talking about visuals quite a lot as the, as the show goes on. But I want to just take a moment and explain to everyone what we're doing on this show. Because typically on Opera for Everyone, we talk about and opera. And we look at a composer, a librettist, and the story of an opera and its performance and some of the surrounding background. But we're looking a little more generally at not just opera, but art. Opera for Everyone, the show was created to invite people to enjoy opera because opera is a blending of art forms, which combines a variety of sources and inspirations to create an opera with its libretto and its score. And when it's presented, you have musicians, a conductor, singers, dancers, supernumeraries, a director, set designers, lighting, costumes, makeup, hair, seamstresses, dressers, so many more people involved and artists. In fact, opera, Grant, uh, the word opera.
1: Opera is an inherently plural art form. In fact, the word opera is plural. The singular is opus, like magnum opus. It's the Latin word meaning a work or something produced. And opera is a collection of many different things. I've explained it before to friends who aren't into opera, that opera is an art form that faced all the choices that art forms face over the centuries. And every time it faced a choice between more and less, it always chose more.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. And at Opera for Everyone, we want everyone, not just specialists and not just the people who've experienced it in the past or who grew up with it. We want everyone to know that they can enjoy opera because there's so much richness there. It's a rich complexity that brings together so many artistic elements. And all of these arts and artists together, they form an opera in combination. It's a harmonization. It's a harmonization. It's a marriage. And here, in our two guests today, we have a literal marriage of arts and artists. Elizaveta Ulyakovich, we're going to call her Liza through most of the show, <laughs> as Perry does, and Perry Sook, they not only perform opera, but they're also married. And during some of the downtime recently, when theaters were not even open, they found a new way to express their creative impulse and they created something new, United Arts Studies. Can you all tell us a little something about United Arts Studies?
2: Sure, just as we were mentioning the marriage of many things, United Arts Studies is also a marriage of fine art and the music of opera. It's a multidisciplinary combination as Lisa and I, in the story of the show, take an online art history class and then debate about the meaning of those pieces with operatic pieces. Do you have anything you would like to say, Lisa? It kind of looks
1: like it. (laughs)
3: Lisa, is that the way you see it too? Perry uses a very difficult language. (laughs) I think you can describe it much more simple. It's just, it is just the project that initially was an idea of a concert that then, during pandemic, we decided to make uh, to just cut in pieces and make it a video series, just like a little entertaining show. Yeah, and it is indeed a combination of visual art, opera arias, recits that I compose myself with the help of famous composers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just just fun.
0: It is fun, it is so fun. I don't think we've said this explicitly yet, but we should mention that you have a, a YouTube channel, United Art Studies.
2: Yes, as, as Lisa mentioned, originally this was going to be a concert, but then when we were all not allowed to see each other for a long time, we tried to right. figure out another medium in which we could share our joy of art uh, with the world, and so we figured YouTube would be a good way to do it. So this is a, a six-episode miniseries, five of which are already out and available for viewing, the sixth of which comes on a Thursday in a November near you. Uh,
0: well, and, and we should mention that this my podcast will stay up for a long time, and people sometimes listen to these later on. So maybe up when you listen to this. You never know. So by the end of 2021, they will all be
2: up. That's correct. And, yes, yeah, so this is on our, our YouTube channel, United Art Studies, split into six individual episodes, each focusing on – at least one, if not more, composers and one classical visual artist comparing the works of both.
3: Not even comparing, discussing. Discussing and exchanging opinions. You know, comparing is a very strict word. It's, it's about discussing. Sure, sure. Showing and uniting. Uh?
2: Well, exactly. That's, I mean, the mm. the, the name in itself uh, kind of contains what we're trying to do, which is unite the arts. Not only did Lise and I come together for this class, you know, air quotes united art studies but we are uniting it's not you know oh yes this painting talks about a tree and this aria talks about a tree so they are together it's no what what are what are the feelings what are what are the things that these pieces engender that are similar not only in its subject matter but in its entire existence and that that is what really is united throughout
1: the episodes so you mentioned that in the story there's this art class that y'all are taking. Tell us a little bit about the the premise there.
3: Well, we specifically tried not to mention the situation of pandemic at all Mm -hmm. in our classes, in our videos, uh, just because we think it applies to whatever you decide, not only pandemic or something else. That's why we start the very first episode with the words, well we're gonna do something with all of those free time. (laughs) and (laughs) because everyone has free time sometimes and it's really cool when people try to learn something new i always am cheering for more reading you know more going to some exhibitions museums traveling learning more about different cultures and languages and everything that's why we try to travel as much as possible because it's it's a great amount of knowledge that you get just from moving, you know?
2: Now, the, the, the class itself, we kind of run it like a crowd-based source. Uh, so the the motto of both the class and the episode is, Welcome to United Art Studies, bringing you together to learn what you choose. Yes. Um, and so there is a fictional other members of this class who have all submitted their artists that they would like to study and... Through that, the wheel, the artist spins, wheel, yes. selects. Yes, it spins. Uh, Mary Cassatt, one of these days, she'll get chosen. Um, she's been on the wheel every time. and ever gets Vincent
4: bad girl. Um, Yeah, and
2: so uh, the, the wheel spins, and then it arrives on an artist, and then after that, you get your basis summary, but then four topics appear as headlines, almost, that you can click. So in our first episode, for example, we have Frida Kahlo, a dramatic part of her life that shaped her entire experience and began her career as an artist, was the accident she got in on a bus so literally that button uh, is called the accident and so you click that button and it tells you about that and then there are more buttons that you can click to learn more and then you click to go see the paintings which there are also four options lisa and i for the most part in our episodes only click on one because we want to go for more depth but we we hope that that would encourage people to go oh well this this Frida Kahlo portrait for Doctor Aloesser is beautiful. I would love to go research on my own some of these other three paintings. Yes. Yes. And so, we
3: do not have an, a a task, you know, or a final goal to cover every single uh, <laughs> detail of the artist's or composer's <laughs> biography. That's not the goal. The goal yes. is just to make people want to learn something more, something else. Yeah. So we. Deeper.
2: Yeah. We learned what we. Air quotes chose uh, and and hope that other people would learn along with us and then go learn what they chose about that person because you could take an entire class for a year of more of school about one singular artist uh, let alone a sixteen minute video so we we hope that it just is a starting point for the basis of your knowledge on these arias and artists not not the end all be all. information
3: or visual art in general or opera Mm -hmm. in general maybe someone never heard an opera before right well I should say
0: it all sounds very serious when you're saying this but my goodness these are such fun shows to watch that's the thing you guys have such a charming well we can hear it now but on these shows such a lovely rapport together you're having such a fun time together it comes at you, the richness of what you see visually as what you're hearing, it's, it, there's so much going on. It's fun. It's just fun to watch and you can go at it again and again.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, well, thank you. We uh, Look, It's a, it's a big joy in this world of the arts when you get to work with your spouse and so to make our own... Sometimes
3: uh, it's a big curse. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you both know each other's best strength and best weaknesses of every day. I'm beginning to have this finished product that we you know was always the end goal of us together of something we created yes. uh, and got to perform to together it was so much fun and uh, I I really think a lot of that came through on the videos. We're kind of goofy people, if you couldn't tell by this.
3: Uh, I'm not goofy. Uh, no, not I'm very, yes, I'm very. Very very serious. Orchin
2: serious. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, so we uh, we hope we got to communicate kind of, you know, who we are.
0: Absolutely. I think it's time to hear a little bit of music and perhaps we could start off with one of the songs from the first episode. Perry, you perform one of, well, you both perform Handel pieces. But let's Perry, let's start off with the piece that you perform from Handel's repertoire, not often seen opera, Berenice, can you tell us a little bit about this piece?
2: So, uh, with, with the handle piece, it comes in and has the A section followed by a B section, but then the A section returns with some ornaments on it. So, you know, as written on the page, it would be the exact same, but with traditions of other performers, some of the famous ones, and then your own personal stylings, you add on your instrumentation to the repeat of the A section, to create and make it your own. So that's something I find very interesting uh, with this piece is that you know my instrumentations and um, ornaments on the A' prime section are different than anyone else's. And it, it kind of let me express, both in my performance of this outside of United Art Studies and in this, how I feel about Frida's work and how I am empathetic to uh, what Frida was feeling. And I, I really think uh, it gives us the freedom, especially in this episode, when the connection is not so literal between the artist and the arias to show and express how we feel.
0: Well, let's hear that aria.
2: Si tra i cepi. Si tra i ceppi la mia
5: feri splenderà. La mia feri splenderà, la mia feri. Splendid.
0: Thank you. And we have more handle on the way, but I'd love to hear you both speak a little bit about Frida Kahlo. Because when you're listening to these and watching them on your episodes, it's this wonderful combination of hearing your singing in the case of this piece that you're singing from Berenice. And then we're going to very soon we're going to hear Lisa's song which I'll let her introduce in a moment, but you're showing us a whole variety of images, not just from Frida Kahlo, but also from different performers.
3: Yeah, the structure of every aria that we're showing in the episode is practically divided in two halves, where the first half is about the composer, the opera the aria and the singers who ever had a chance to perform it and then the second part is how and why do we associate this particular piece with uh, with an artist and then we show the artist maybe his photos but mostly his works or hers mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're talking about frida
2: well, yes because uh through through all of the pieces in every episode it is tying in and showing the similarities and in feeling and everything as we've mentioned of the music and the art so the first half of each one has the images of the performance because how are you going to compare the feelings you get from Demetrio and berenice if you've never seen the opera which I never had, to then compare it to the works of Frida. So we try to give you images of this man, Si Traicepi, yes, even in chains, so that you have that feeling to go with you into the second half of the aria, where you can then blend it and compare it, or any other word you would like to use to show the juxtaposition of art and music, together with the work of Frida.
0: One of the comments that you make during the episode, which I think is very helpful as you're watching it is the stoicism that Frida seems to evidence in her expression of her art and also the endurance of these characters in their circumstances. Because after all, what is Demetrio singing about there, Perry?
2: He's really singing a lot about perseverance and and that despite being held back and we did put subtitles on the bottom of all the arias so you too could know uh, what he is singing about um, yes, even but it's... the one that's sung in <laughs>
0: English in episode five thank you very oh, much oh of
2: course <laughs> you know oh, sometimes <laughs> vowel, vowel transformations make it uh, make even English another language yes but you know it's it's about perseverance so that yes even in chains he will remain exuberant he will remain truthful to his cause and so it is it is literally a man bound who is remaining true to who he is
4: mm.
3: in my opinion, When we're talking about opera and classic music, nothing can be more stoic than the baroque opera to me. (laughs) That's why when we were creating the series, we started to go and think only from the point of the music. And we started chronologically starting from the baroque, then moving on to Mozart, then to more romantic music and to operetta at the end spoiler <laughs> no spoilers in opera
0: we say that all the time yeah. opera for everyone.
3: <laughs> and only after that when we discussed basically we were writing i had this you know notebook and so uh we put first episode handle second episode mozart then we asked each other what arias from handle do you have and I said, well, I have Cleopatra. And Per was like, well, I have Demetrio. And, uh, and I was like, what is it about? Because I personally didn't know Demetrio as well, or Berenice or C. Tri. Mm-hmm. Uh And he was like, well, that's about this. And I was like, oh, well, Cleopatra is about this. And then we discussed what can be similar or maybe complete opposite. And only after that, we went to the artist, to the painter. Mm.
2: You know, we have not only the limitations of whatever our fock is for our voice, but we also had very limited uh, performance opportunities and ways to get these recordings during when this was filmed in the pandemic. So we wanted to use, for the most part, arias we had already sang before. Whereas with the art and the visual art, we had an infinite number of possibilities uh, yes. to access. So we, we, we worked and found what was best for us with the repertoire we had and what we wanted to show people and introduce people to. And then we're fortunate enough to have a lot of overlap in ideology and thoughts that we could then tie into the visual artist.
3: Which is very interesting to unite the composer from 17th century with the painter of 20th. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And yes. and very wonderful, right? Because, I mean, opera itself is so often playing with these very, very old stories from much farther in the past than the operas themselves were composed or performed. And it can act as this, this bridge, and particularly a bridge to emotions that are similar, which I think is very much what you're doing beautifully in that episode.
2: For sure. And we... Uh... We really want especially for anyone more youthful people trying to get into opera um at a young age uh w- would love for the flow to even continue it's like all right so you know this is a song about adversity and overcoming it through your chains and frida overcame her adversity to remain true to herself and create this beautiful art. She a song she literally
3: was bound and chains yeah,
2: she was literally bound mm-hmm. in chains um but you know so what is what is the song you hear on the radio that also has, because we, we, we don't want to give you the answers, we want to start your own discussion of these feelings and things, so that both then the works of Frida Kahlo and the music of Handel will be more applicable and personal to you. Hmm.
0: Beautiful. Now we need to hear you singing Cleopatra. Is there anything you want to tell us about her situation, where she is and what's going on in the opera when this aria occurs, Lisa?
3: Well, on the contrary, it, Giulio Cesare is the most popular opera of Handel, I believe.
0: Yes. And just for those of you who don't speak Italian, that's Italian for Julius Caesar.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've heard of that guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: So we know There's the story. <laughs> <laughs> we know the story, I, I think. We know her She is surrounded by legends and myths. But what we know for sure is that she's one of the strongest women in history. Mm. And (laughs) she perfectly shows it with the help of Handel, how strong and sometimes cruel, most of the times actually, cruel she can be. So, Lisa, what is
0: Cleopatra needing to be stoic about? What is she suffering through?
3: Well, she just got the news about Caesar being defeated and being not alive. And, of course, she's very sad about it and she's devastated and at the same time angry at the situation. She lost the battle. She lost the love. She doesn't know what's waiting in front of her. So when we are talking about the Baroque opera in general, the whole story is happening in the Resets. And then aria reflects the feelings. Nothing is happening during the arias, not in Handel operas. So the first part of the aria is always the main mood, I would tell. Then the second part is something the opposite from the main mood. Mm -hmm. So here, you know, when the person loses someone, the feelings are always very mixed. It's not only sadness it will never be black or white it's sadness it's anger it is feeling of being lost Mm -hmm. all the above and then the third part is some kind of result of the mix of the first and the second part Mm -hmm. where some kind of conclusion that's why basically the ornaments appear Of course, initially, it was for countertenors and huge sopranos to just show their art, to show their technique. But the underlying idea is just to bring uh, us to a certain result. I believe that in the third part of that aria, she finds new strength from that loss. Oh,
0: thank you so much for explaining not just Cleopatra, but also these style of arias in the Baroque opera. Because, Grant, you and I, the first opera that we ever did on Opera for Everyone was Handel's Tamerlano. And was relatively early in our podcasting days, and we were learning about Baroque opera ourselves at that point, little by little, and understood this through reading about it. But I I know it's a whole different thing when you're training and having to perform these, and it's so interesting to hear it from the perspective of a singer having to portray the character this way. And it's also an experience for an audience member to hear these arias where you say, oh, I've seen these words again when you're looking at the supertitles.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's pretty much one sentence
2: seven minutes.
0: Right. You pick up pretty quickly that as perry said the the action is happening during um you all are calling them recits and i'm so used to the um hearing them called recitatives it's just a quicker way to say that yes, exactly.
2: yeah 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 just the, the street, i think i may have to term. adopt that that's easier oh, yeah. no, i mean it is it is just a literally a, a truncating of the you know yeah. the true italian but it's Oh, yeah, you got the recit and then you got the aria.
5: Oh, so I love you
6: know. it. Yeah, love it. Well, so you, so you open
3: more... the score of the opera, you yeah. can see that nothing is set. Like, there's no such thing as recitativo or something like that. It's just. Oh, it says recit. R E C I T dot. And oh, that's it. So it was like, oh, that's recit.
2: So they abbreviate it, so why don't we? <laughs> much go. easier. Much
0: easier. I like it. But it's, but it's very clear with a Handel opera, a Baroque opera, where it's, it's an alternating. It's an alternating of, of your auditory experience and also what's happening, action, emotion, action, almost reaction. But it, it's wonderful. Anyway, enough talk. Let's hear Cleopatra's aria.
3: Piangerò la sorte mia.
0: for everyone and I am here today with co-host Grant and two very special guests opera singers Elizaveta Ulukovic and Perry Suk. Welcome you two and Elizaveta that was so beautiful, so beautiful. Well, we can hear it in your voice Elizaveta and Perry. I know you're both married, but I don't think you both grew up in the same place. How did y'all pick up on that? <laughs> <laughs> So tell us where you're from and where you grew up and how you became singers.
2: Sure. Uh, so I am from Texas originally. I lived in five states before I was five years old, but the but the one I remember growing up in was Texas, right outside of the DFW area, yeah. um, and started doing musicals when I was four years old. My mom was directing one, and both my sisters were in it, and I figured if I had to sit there the whole time, I might as well be on stage two, oh, um, yeah. and never really <laughs> stopped Uh did it my entire way through school. My degree from University of Oklahoma is a musical theater performance. And while I was there, uh, the opera department came and asked me if I would do an opera as well as the musicals I was involved in. And I got permission from my department. And did my first ever opera with Don Giovanni as a very um, inappropriately age cast commendatore, uh, but I had you know the, the voice for it in college. <laughs> but did that and, and absolutely loved it. Luckily for me, my musical theater Career kept me pretty busy for the next foreseeable part of my career, uh, once I got out of college. But then when there was a little slowdown in the industry and leading into, uh, obviously, this pandemic, I had a little more time and said, well, this is as good a time as any to really get to sing some of this wonderful music that I've had such a passion for and not a lot of time for, and got to do that. And luckily, uh, opera took me to Italy, where I met my wife. And so, oh. I, I'm, I'm, yes, I am very, very thankful for opera in my life, for, for if nothing besides that, uh, getting to meet my <laughs> wife, uh, who is also not from Italy. So I'll, uh, I'll let her take it over.
0: Yes, Lisa.
3: I'm from Russia, St. Petersburg, was born and raised there. I started singing, I think, when I was two years old. And my parents' oh. favorite thing was to put me on top of some people's cars and me just <laughs> singing the folk, Russian folk songs oh. in the whole backyard. That was really fun. And so I really like to sing, but I never found a specific style for myself that will let me feel natural, comfortable, organic, uh I I know Perry doesn't like the word organic, but I use it all the time. (laughs) 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 So I kept going from pop music to jazz music to then to folk music then to I tried even rap I sang oh in choir
2: if you guys had a video representation of this you would know how <laughs> ironic it is that that this tiny little Russian girl
1: tried to be a rapper just throwing that out there <laughs> <laughs> I want that for one of our optional
3: songs <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile I was studying in this school with, uh, Rush, uh, with English and German languages as foreign languages and I was dancing, classic dancing, for 11 years. So wow. I was not quite sure what I'm going to do next after my high school. And then literally one year before graduation, my dad asked me, would you like to try opera singing? And, uh, and I was like, okay, why not? Why not? <laughs> so we went to this uh, professor and I started singing, and usually, I just got used to everything being so easy to me, oh. and that's what led me to drop it pretty fast. It was not that interesting, just because it was so easy. So I started trying this opera singing, and it was so hard, and nothing, nothing worked. Ah. It just was extremely hard, and seemed like it will not suit my voice, ever. And that's what was so interesting to me. That's why I pushed all of my efforts and in one year prepared myself for musical college without any background classical education whatsoever. And so I went to State Musical College, Rimsky-Korsakov in St. Petersburg, where I did not receive my bachelor degree because I just switched to, directly to conservatory a year before graduation. Just because I just wanted to learn and get to my goal faster, I guess. I didn't care about diplomas or degrees or anything. So while in conservatory, <sighs> yes. I, was doing, I was studying to get my master's. And then again, a year before graduation, Bolshoi Theater in Moscow saw me and they invited me to join, to join them. So a year before graduation, I just moved to Moscow from St. Petersburg. But then I was like, oh, it's been eight years. I think I should get some kind of degree. So I finished (laughs) it. So I finished conservatory distantly and received this red diploma, which is the highest, you know, when you get, when you have all the A's, Hmm. that's, that's, that's called red diploma. So I. Got it. <laughs> Amen,
2: Master Summa Cum Laude. You- okay. oh. Congratulations! Oh, yes.
3: <laughs> and so I started working in Bolshoi Theater for two years, and then in two years I was invited to the to this master class in Italy, <laughs> and I went. Now you we're see where here. this is going. Catholic. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I met Harry. I met Harry dropped my... that hook earlier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I met my future husband and my future voice teacher, (laughs) who happens to live here in New York. And so after 10 days in Italy, I returned to Moscow. I dropped everything I had. I quit theater, and I just moved to New York. (laughs) Oh, my It was a very spontaneous decision. (laughs) But it was worth it.
1: That's wild.
3: Wow. And Perry, (laughs) were you
0: living in New York at that time, too?
2: Uh, Yes. Yeah, I came up in... uh, 2014 after graduating from OU and have been here ever since. I was quite, quite happy the voice teacher happened to, uh, happened to bring her back over to New York with us. (laughs) So,
0: okay, I need to hear more about this. Like, how did you meet in Italy? I mean, Italy is a big country, so tell us more about the connection.
2: Not big
1: compared to Russia.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes, not as big as Russia, (laughs) Um,
2: but what is? I also think it's unique. We're both from the, I'm from the state and she's from the country that it's like, you know, it's not Europe, it's not Asia, it's it's Russia. And I'm like, you know, it's not the South, it's not the middle, the Midwest, it's mm. it's just Texas. Like, you know, we're, we're right. just doing our own <laughs> thing. Um, no, so we were, we, were, uh, we were both invited to this master class um, out in there and it's uh, teachers from all over. Uh, there were two Italian teachers, one Russian teacher, multiple coaches brought in, and then uh, three American instructors as well, uh, including... Uh, the voice teacher we both now work with in the city. Uh, and we were invited by people, representatives from our countries, to take part in this master class. And, uh, I mean, it was amazing. You literally woke up had some of the best espresso you'll ever have in your life. Yes,
0: Italy, yay. (laughs) You know,
2: sang sang for a few hours, listen to people sing for a couple more hours, go swim in the ocean, have the best pasta Mm. you've ever had in your life, go back, sing again, and then go have an amazing romantic dinner every single night. So if you ever want to fall in love, I really recommend the island of Ischia. (laughs) Uh, It's it's, it's a great spot for that. But yeah, so both singing in the program, and uh, I saw her and instantly decided I – Wanted, wanted to spend a little more time with her. So, you know, trying to be very helpful and, you know, make sure she had medicine after traveling and, and know where all the classes were. I, I you know, <laughs> offered to take her phone number uh, the first night we met. And mm-hmm. uh, luckily, the second night we met,
1: we had our first date. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it must have been pretty good for her to drop everything and run away to New York. <laughs> well, I, I, think,
2: I think the, uh, you know, the, the wonderful voice teacher here and the, and the promise of an agent, which uh, did happen. I'm just a reckless happened. woman. Yes.
3: Very.
2: very, reckless. <laughs> very yeah. That's I, I, not necessarily a word I'd use I use to describe you. Yes. Very reckless. I am very, reckless yes, Russian. That's yes, the me. reckless Russian. We're going for alliteration <laughs> here.
3: Um, well, well,
0: we'll be talking about fairy tales later. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. That's beautiful. That is just beautiful. Were there other romances, uh, or were you just not noticing? You were in your own world
2: there. Well, believe it or not, it is a rule of the program that you are not allowed to date. Uh, So all of this Uh was done very clandestinely. Um, And then on the final... Okay,
0: everyone listening, don't tell about this. Uh,
2: (laughs) No, uh, after the final night of the program, my teacher says, by the way... I'm not, I'm not dumb. I know what's going on here, uh, but thank you for, for at least trying to uh, follow the rules and keep Aww. this quiet. Here, go have this wonderful date, and that's actually where I returned to propose to Lisa. So it all mm-hmm. all ended A very well after. and romantically. Yes.
0: Oh, you went back a year later for the yes, proposal? We went, yes,
2: we went back a year later, and I uh, went to the same restaurant where we had our first date with Blessing, and and uh, and went, and that's where I proposed. Aww. Lots of romance in Italy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone should write Aww. an opera about it.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, there are plenty of operas that include opera singers in the operas. I, yeah. I'll be in the front row to watch that one. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> that's... I mean, I'm flustered a little bit. That's, I like a good romance. That's lovely. Nice. Um, okay, well. <sighs>
1: <laughs> and And that's, to me, the wonderful thing about your series is that you see that romance in the most everyday of spaces, not necessarily on an Italian island, but in the most ordinary of spaces, on the couch, in the apartment, in a car at one point, <laughs> with the dog, and seeing how that is just part and parcel of everything in life Hmm. of course there's a there's a fiction to it but the fiction is I think telling the truth about you guys and the way that some of these things permeate your life
2: oh absolutely I mean some of the discussions we have over these pieces and you know no no this is what it means no this is what it means are actually the conversations we had while writing these episodes. The only thing, you know, fictitious is the, the class itself because all of the thoughts and feelings and how uh, goofy we are around each other is, is all very quite real.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the second episode of United Arts Studies. You mentioned that you went chronologically with the composers and we get to hear a little Mozart. I must tell you, Mozart is always fun and Mozart seemed to have a very important place in your opera history. You just told us with Don Giovanni, you were playing the commendatore in your first outing on stage in Mozart, but in episode two, that's not what we're going to hear. I'm happy to say we're going to hear one of my favorite pieces from Don Giovanni, which is Leporello's catalog song. For people not familiar with the story of Don Giovanni, Leporello is servant, body man to Don Giovanni. Tell us a little bit about what goes on in this song.
2: So, leberello is really just one of the most fun characters I've ever got to uh, portray in opera. So, throughout this aria, he is literally giving a list, a catalog, if you will, of all of the types, varieties, shapes, sizes, and preferences of women uh, that his master has conquered uh, throughout his uh, romantic yeah. conquest, you know, in an attempt to scare away a woman who does not want to leave alone, Don Giovanni. And so the depictions and odd requests of seasonal preferences of sizes of women—it's—it's it's really and just number a, and oh yes, and the ridiculous amount of numbers, literally listing per country. How many, uh, how many female conquests Don Giovanni has had per country. Uh, it's, it's very humorous and just so over the top and such a, such a fun, fun aria to perform.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting, fun aria. And one of the things that, that Mozart does in his operas is, is you have these humorous, fun moments, but also some deadly, serious moments as well. Because I feel like one of the things this particular show we're doing here, this podcast, it's a little bit of a sampler for your show, but also for opera in general. We're getting a little Handel, we're getting a little Mozart, and we're going to get some other composers as we move along. Let's hear some of Leporello's catalog song.
5: Mina, il catalogo questo, delle belle che more Osservate, leggete con me. In Italia 640. In Alemania 231. Cento in Francia e Turchia novantuna. Ma in Spagna di Spagna e già mille e tre mille e tre mille e tre von fra queste contadine cameriere e cittadine Von contesse baronesse, e baronese Principesse, principese donne grado, donne forma, donne e età donne forma, donne età. In Italia, 640, in Armandia, 231, 100 in Francia, in Torquia, 91, ma, ma, ma in Spagna, ma. In Spagna, son già mille tre, mille tre, mille tre. Van fra questa condadine, cameriere, cittadine, van contesse, baronesse, marchesane, principesse, e van donne d'ogni grado, d'ogni forma, d'ogni to, d'ogni forma, d'ogni età d'ogni forma abionta e alusanza duolto ilo lor gentilezza ne
0: Leporello, he's got hard work dealing with that Don Giovanni, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, we haven't even told you. Episode two's title is What You Desire. And the artist you chose to pair with that topic and with Mozart.
2: Gustav Klimt.
0: Klimt. I bet even if people don't know when you say his name, I imagine people have seen images of Klimt's work because those images which are so richly, almost brocade looking of rich colors and golden women. It's almost always women, isn't it?
2: Quite a bit of women, which tied in very well to Leporello's aria. They're really memorable. And even if you don't recall a specific image, the feeling and effect these paintings have is is very lasting.
0: Well, I love love a lot of things about this episode. Well, first of all, the fact that you've started outside And you come inside, and and before we even talk anything more about the episode, there are a couple of mentions about these plates of food that you have, where, where Lisa, you correct Perry's pronunciation of Olivier is how I think he's saying it, but you said just call it Russian salad, please.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about this salad. Once again, nothing in these episodes is fictitious. <laughs> yes. I,
3: uh, <laughs> la, la, la. It, it, it came across as believable. So tell <laughs> us about this salad. <laughs> that was traditional Russian salad. Uh, it's just very hard to find the real good one abroad. Usually it's a lot of mayonnaise, so it becomes a mayonnaise soup, literally. It's, it's called Olivier. Actually, with the Russian accent, Olivier, just like that. Uh, the, the original <laughs> recipes from France. Named after the French chef, ah. because back that time, Russians loved to inherit everything that was French—language, clothing, food, right. manners, right. dance. So
0: much of the aristocracy would, in fact, speak exactly. To exactly the, the, the beginning,
3: other. the beginning of nineteenth century. Right. Yes, this salad be- became a national dish of Russia. Uh-huh. And we eat it all the time on every holiday, especially New Year's. It's
2: like an egg salad, for, for those of you who, <laughs> who it? Russian it's salad, salad is not. Yeah. So it...
3: it has potatoes, uh, peas, carrots, onions, pickles, uh, some kind of meat, depending on your preference. Huh. And egg. And mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like an egg salad,
2: but not. Gross, um, because I am not a big fan of American, you know, egg salads or egg salad sandwiches. Uh, but but Olivier is very tasty, as I say in the episode. Um, it it's, it's quite here. good,
0: yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. well, what else is so fun is that, um, you mentioned being at Lisa's parents' home, and I love the fact that during a good part of this and the next episode we see some pictures on the wall, including what looks to me almost like a pop art version, I'm guessing, of <laughs> Lisa as a girl?
3: That's with correct. With her hair that and was, braids? That was a present from my dad to me and my mom. There's actually two portraits of me and my mom made Andy Warhol style. Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm. Well, and following the real storyline of us, uh, due to immigration laws during COVID, we were in Russia for six mm-hmm. months out of, out of quarantine. And wow. we were like, well, we're not going to not film episode two. Uh, right. So we rewrote <laughs> episode two and then episode three and then episode four uh, <laughs> to change the storyline to our actual storyline, which was us being in Russia.
0: Oh. Well, so Klimt, we have all these pictures of these, these very, um, well... Have these lovely pictures. <laughs> and I love the little uh, back and forth between husband and wife that happens here. <laughs> but I also love the fact that in this episode, Lisa turns to this other work of art, Cosi Fantuti, where you have the back and forth between genders, men and women, in Cosi Fantuti. Lisa, set up the song that you present before we hear a little bit of it.
3: It's an aria of Fiordelligi. And Fjordelige is the fiancé of one officer who, together with his friend, also an officer, made a bet with the third man that they will make their fiancés cheating on them because they believe that every woman does that. That's the title of the opera. So Fjordelige, as, as one of the sisters, is the most serious one, is the most, let's say, stoic, too. However, in fact, <laughs> she's very much willing to cheat <laughs> on her Oops. officer. And she tries to act like she doesn't want. But all of her words, all of her intonations, and all of her behavior shows the opposite.
0: It's actually a very fun opera. I'm going to put in a self-plug here. Episode 33 of Opera for Everyone, we, we <laughs> take a close look at Cosi Fan Tutti. It's one of my favorites. So take a listen if you're not familiar with Cosi Fan Tutti,
3: well, let's hear
0: Lisa singing Fior de Ligi's like a stone.
3: Come scolia.
0: Listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for everyone. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast, where you can find a rich trove of past episodes. Stay with us; the second half of today's show is coming right up. Welcome back to the second half of Opera for Everyone. I am your host Pat Wright, joined today by guest co-host Grant. Hey, Grant. It's
1: wonderful to be here.
0: Always wonderful to have you. And we have our two very special guests, Elizaveta Ulokovich and Perry Suk. Hello. <laughs> hey, so
2: so so glad to be here. Thanks thanks for uh, having us on, having us back.
0: It's great to have you here. We are having such a good time talking about your project, United Art Studies, and quite frankly, a whole lot more. (laughs) (laughs) About the work of opera singers, about how you trained to become opera singers, how you all met and became an opera couple, Mm. and also a little bit of a sampler of different operas and different art that you're presenting in your program. Before we carry on with our conversation, In an ordinary episode of Opera for Everyone, this is where we would credit the people who produced a CD that we're listening to. But we're listening to the clips that you've kindly provided to us. I'm sure some other people helped you to create these clips and your show. Anyone you'd like to give a shout out to?
2: Oh, definitely.
3: Yes, of course. First, we would probably would like to thank the voice of United Art Studies, Victoria yes. Reisuk. She's Perry's sister. A whole family affair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she helped us a lot with making United Art Studies sound exactly how we wanted. Mm. And of course, we would like to thank both of the pianists who were playing for us and accompanying our arias. They both are Russians. However, one is working in New York and one is working in Russia, so we just happened to work with both of them. Their names are Sergei Iorov and Dmitry Mechin. They're great pianists, and we're so, so happy we're working with them.
2: And uh, last thanks we, we would like to give out is uh, to our camera consultant slash uh, co-director and producer, uh, Nicholas Grisham with Camlock Films. Really, really helped us out with some of the logistics of filming this, because filming a 3 plus camera set is not as easy as you would think it would be um, especially doing it all by yourself during a quarantine so so huge thank you to uh, the four of them and anyone else who has helped us out along the way with our project
0: yeah and i would not think that that would be simple honestly (laughs) you are you are correct (laughs) well it looks beautiful and i'm sure everyone has put a lot of work into it just a reminder to everyone listening just go to youtube united arts studies you'll find it and it's a lot of fun to watch Thank you. don't forget you know. to subscribe.
2: Yeah, like, subscribe, comment. Tell us, tell us the arias you liked. If you didn't like any arias, don't tell us any of that. No,
3: please, please tell <laughs> us. Um, I love the critic. I love huh? it. It's my favorite. I do it all the time to other people. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no.
2: Constructive, constructive, of course, you know. Oh, sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Well, regular listeners to Opera for Everyone will know that this is the time when we typically have our opera helmet quiz where we recap the story, which seems a little odd to do in a show like this. But since I have a very special co-host with me, Grant, I'm going to throw it over to him. Grant, can you recap part one for us?
1: So once upon a time in the faraway land of Italy, there was a beautiful island where two beautiful people met and they were told that they weren't allowed to date, and the rest is history. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Very accurate. I love it. <laughs>
2: no, no, that's great. It is from that meeting and, and that love and our mutual love of music that this project was born. So, I mean, the rest really is history. It was from our discussions of opera and art and our love of combining them and sharing them and showing them to new people uh, that United Art Studies was born.
0: Lovely. That's lovely. Well. Speaking of history, I wanted to go back, before we talk about any of the episodes in particular, I want to go back and and look a little bit at the history of combining drama and music. Because Perry, you mentioned earlier that you've got a background in musical theater, specifically, that you had to be released from your musical theater studies department in order to participate in an opera. But music and drama combining together has a long history. And for people who are not specialists in those areas, it can sometimes be confusing. What's a musical, what's an opera, what's an operetta, what's just a play with some music added into it. Can you all speak to that in any way?
2: Sure. As we were talking about with Handel, it's a very good example of where we came from to where we're going. The lack of these book songs, Songs that further the plot is something that is contained in a lot of opera. And even as opera goes on, a lot of the story is not necessarily contained within the songs and arias. What is marked as really the beginning of musical theater, if you don't count Showboat, is in 1943 with Rogers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. For the first time, everything that was on stage was to further the story, including the Dream Ballet by Agnes DeMille and all of the music by Rodgers and Hammerstein. There was no chorus line, there was no... And and here's your, you know, musical review part. Uh, Every single bit of the staging went to furthering the plot and advancing the storyline. And to me that is the biggest transition from the two. Granted, operas happen to be more sung through than musicals, but then you get things like Les Miserables and Phantom of the Opera, which are both almost entirely sung through. However, the separation from story and music that we sometimes see in opera, we almost never see in musicals. Uh, And that is really what I would say is the biggest difference between the two.
0: What our listeners can't see, that I can see, was the expression on Lisa's face. Perhaps some disagreement?
1: A different perspective.
3: I do not think that's the, first of all, I was surprised how smoothly Perry could just go and go on and on with his story. It's almost
2: like I have a degree in musical yeah. theater uh, or something.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do not believe that's the only or the biggest difference. I believe one of, the, one of the differences between operas and musicals is the base story, because originally it was only antique stories, like myths then it went to history and uh, real historical people then it went to literature but not only that the main and the biggest biggest difference that divides opera from anything else is that opera is always a tragedy always except for maybe some examples that are exceptions from the rule what about Opera buffa? Ah, that's an exception. That's not, that's, that's, that's the Opera buffa. That's the comic opera, you know, that it yeah. will never be, oh, you know this opera. No, no, you know this comic opera. You know that Verdi wrote only one comic opera and he was very particular about this.
0: It's so interesting, isn't it? I almost feel like you both have illustrated what I have experienced, that different people even in this world will come at it with different perspectives on this very question.
2: You're gonna get several different points of views, especially you see right here, someone trained in musicals, someone trained in opera, how we see the differences. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a fascinating question. When you go to learn about opera, If you just get a textbook to learn about opera, one of the things pretty much every opening chapter will talk about is the early days of opera when the camarada gets together. They look to create this new art form to marry drama and music. And they look back to the ancient Greeks and how they presented drama and combined music with it. I mean, you can just go back to any level you want to. But I think we're getting in the weeds here. I have a specific question for Lisa because you will know about what goes on in Russia, and I'm very curious. I'm familiar with the American musical theater tradition. Is there anything comparable to that? Or is there another sort of
3: musical theater tradition in Russia, or is opera the thing? I would not say that there is some kind of culture of a musical theater. However, some of the theaters are trying to specify their directions on musical theater and operettas because i feel like that's where the similarity exists there's one operetta theater in moscow there's one musical theater in saint petersburg but it is so unpopular i mean it is popular the, the theaters itself are very very popular but comparing to the number of opera theaters concert mm. hall philharmonic halls it's just uh, it's it's The number is significant. Which
1: is fascinating as a contrast to the American experience where musical theater is extremely popular.
3: Th-
2: think of it this way. Musical theater is a uniquely American art form. We we mm. created it here. Broadway was the birth of this art form. Whereas the Bolshoi theater where Lisa worked is older than our country.
3: I just mm. feel that Russia as a country, Russia as people, tries to preserve the traditions that go all the way from a long, long time ago, starting from 16th, 17th century, when it was all about classical style of anything you can imagine. And, the, and that defined our country, that defined the imperial Russia with all of those costumes, with all of the music, dancing, and everything. And we, as... Russians, we do not and never wanted to lose this. So we try to preserve and continue to develop it. And Americans try to preserve their culture, which is it's just different.
0: Hmm.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense.
0: Well, we do hear in, in our opera houses here in the United States, and I think all over Western Europe, we certainly see a number of Tchaikovsky operas we also will hear from other Russian composers as well. I'm, I'm I'm thinking of the the name of the school you attended, Rimsky-Korsakov. <laughs> we hear some of his works and others also. But I think Tchaikovsky is probably the biggest name, also because of all of his non-operatic symphonic work.
2: I mean, the Nutcracker. Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what true. would
0: Christmas season be without the Nutcracker?
1: Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. is is the Nutcracker as big a thing in Russia? Oh my as God, it is God! Yes. Here? yes.
3: I believe even bigger.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. It is, it is well-loved. And, and with good reason.
6: Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: I believe there are several opera schools that are worldwide known, such as Italian, French, German, and Russian. And if you are a major opera house, you just cannot avoid one of the major styles mm. and schools and countries.
0: And with that, I think it's time now to hear an aria from Liza singing Marfa's aria from The Tsar's Bride by Rimsky-Korsakov. Is a thank you for that piece by Russian composer Nikolai Rimsky Korsakov. And Perry, you were speaking about the development of the American musical theater tradition.
2: Even with our own American traditions, we're still updating things within our own art form. I actually was very recently in David Lee's new production of Camelot with just eight people in it, reducing this three and a half hour giant production into a small ensemble cast of eight while maintaining wow. all of the music. <laughs> yeah, very, very interesting. It's actually officially licensed now. I went out and helped them do the first ever licensed production of it in Iowa and Kansas as well. Within our own art, there's still constant evolution of maintaining those traditions. So I believe I believe we have a little bit of Camelot.
0: Yes, yes, you've sent me one of the favorites ever. I have to tell you, this was always my mother's favorite piece, Lancelot's Mm. If Ever I Would Leave You.
5: If ever I would leave you, it couldn't be in summer, seeing you in summer, I never But if I'd leave you it couldn't be in autumn How I'd live in autumn I never I would leave you How could it be in springtime
0: Thank you so much for that rendition. I oh, of course. just love that song. Regular listeners will know I love a baritone voice, and that that is lovely. Oh, thank <laughs> just you. lovely. Thank you very much. A quick question with this new production of Camelot, is this something one can catch online anywhere or do we just need to keep an eye out?
2: There is nothing online of yet. There is a tour in the works that took a slight hiatus due to the pandemic, but there is a tour version of it coming out. It will either be listed at David Lee's Camelot or the new reduction of Camelot. It's really wonderful though, because some of the music that was cut, you know, to make the original not four hours long, is put back in this version. But since the storyline has been streamlined, you get all of the music with half the time.
0: Yeah. Do they get rid of that line about women not thinking very often?
2: Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Yes, it is. It is uh, (laughs) is a much more um, socially appropriate version of Cabalot.
0: That is the most offensive line in the original. (laughs) Indeed. Okay. I think it's time to get back to United Arts Studies. (laughs) Football. Episode three. We open with an OU game, University of Oklahoma. Yes,
2: we, you gotta love it. Uh, with, with perfect artistic mirroring, we are again in football season right now. And uh, <laughs> Lisa, Lisa will tell you all of those reactions are quite genuine, if not even subdued from my normal level of attentiveness to Oklahoma football. In telling our story... I would be remiss to not mention football in mine. I played for twelve years. I'm on the board of the watch committees here in New York for the Sooners.
0: Stop. What's a watch committee? <laughs> if you're not a football person,
2: that's
3: uh, so, uh, uh, something really silly that he, that he makes sound very serious. Okay? Well, no.
2: So, so we have our we have our um, our organization called the NYC Sooners, uh, and our our main focus is trying to build a community of Sooners up here in. New York uh, and the tri-state area for networking opportunities, uh, for connections for that, and we also raise a scholarship fund to help send a student from the tri-state area to Oklahoma.
3: But mainly (laughs) gathering every Saturday in a bar.
2: But we do indeed have a watch party every Saturday uh, for for the game. <laughs> Quite well attended. It's the Ainsworth Midtown, if you, uh, if you ever want to stop by and watch watch an OU Sooner game in New York. Sports are a massive passion of mine. They're also a side career of mine. I have my own podcast, uh, Sook Sports. And really, I just love sports. And Lisa said, well, Perry, if, if you love it so much and we're combining our lives and our art together, this is part of your story. So let's put it in there. So that is uh, a... What what engendered uh, episode three?
0: That is so fun. Mm. The story there has you taking your art class during halftime, which just <laughs> cracks me up because for me halftime is the best part of the football game. <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> I like the band. But uh... oh, you don't see it. You don't
3: see it in the TV streams. They do not show. Bands. Oh, of course, of course. course. It's all it's all about commercial. You
1: do know that there are football games that aren't the super bowl right
3: (laughs) well
0: yeah i guess i do okay
1: okay just throwing that out there
0: (laughs) did i mention i i watch more opera than football yeah that's true (laughs) that is true (laughs) well in this one we have botticelli i love that guy i think everyone loves botticelli and i think his birth of venus is justly famous
2: We would have to agree. We mentioned this in the episode. Most of his drawings, including The Birth of Venus, is based on a woman he actually loved and painted her most of the time from memory. I think his passion for her, much like my passion for football, comes through very clearly in in the artwork. I think that's what gives it such resounding emotion.
3: Yes, to me, I saw that once an exhibition of mostly full collection of Frida works in St. Petersburg. And then I studied in Florence, Italy for several years in a row. And I went to the Gallery of Art and the Birth of Venus is exhibited there. And it is absolutely breathtaking when you're just standing in front of it. It's just so majestic.
0: It is spectacular. It's the one that also has the nickname Venus on the Half Shell, Mm -hmm. which might resonate for some people.
2: It was important for us to use paintings that were also important to us, something we would actually Mm. click on. And so the fact that Lisa had seen the birth of venus. Then in the 4th episode we literally do one of my top 3 paintings of all time with the persistence of memory. And getting getting to relate to those in those paintings that we have seen and felt and experienced ourselves, we thought was very necessary to be organic in our reactions and comparisons to the artwork. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And it comes through very naturally. And these two episodes, this one and the next one are different from the others in that there's just one song, one singer. So this is Lisa in this episode with Song to the Moon from Rusalka by Dvorak. Lisa, how do you connect this song to this art and artist?
3: I think that was the only time when we connected the aria to the painting very literally. She is in a shell just coming out of sea, and I was like, what can be more like that than the mermaid, (laughs) which is Rusalka in translation from Czech language? Yes. And that's so beautiful. And it doesn't have to be complicated all the time. Sometimes it can be just beautiful. And we decided that that might be the way to go. The third episode with the literal comparison. And then the fourth episode with a very ambiguous connection. But it's all connected.
2: With each episode and each feeling and each theme, we wanted it to be perceived and related in a different way. So we have the the comparisons and the kind of agreeing of each other in the first episode. We have the complete disagreeing on the subject matter of the second episode. We have the literal interpretation in the third episode and then the very abstract, you know, feeling, I was about to speak Russian, of the, <laughs> of the, the uh, you know, relation between the, the painting and that feeling that, that painting that means so much to me and, and legacy and what you leave behind. And so as we go through these, we wanted each relation to the painting to be different and there are going to be literal comparisons, everything. Oh, this looks like that. That sounds like that. And we wanted we wanted that to be okay. That can be enough sometimes. Mm.
3: Exactly. So one aria was completely enough for the third episode. We couldn't find anything else to represent it more than Dvorak represented.
0: Well, let's hear a "Song to the Moon." Thank <laughs> you. to the moon there's a reason why that's a favorite for a lot of folks just lovely lisa thank you
3: thank you very much
0: well you've already told us a little bit about the fourth episode and we won't go into it in depth but we do know it's salvador dali persistence of memory again you might not know the title of that work of art but i'm guessing a lot of listeners have seen that picture with what looks like a melting clock several melting clocks Perry, you mentioned this has been a longtime favorite of yours.
2: Yes, it's such just a wonderful painting that engenders so many emotions of, of time and relativity and the way the artist regards it and his wackiness is just really lovely combination.
0: And your presentation of Dali in the episode is fantastic. And I just love the clip of Dali on the old television show, What's My Line?,
3: I will take full credit for that because we were a little bit struggling with the timing of the episode because even with just one aria, the whole episode got longer than the previous ones because of such a big amount of information that we just couldn't help but mention. We just couldn't avoid this. And I was like, this this video, this clip is just the perfect representation of who Dali is as a person, as a personality, as a character. We have to include it. So I cut it as much as possible, but just try to keep the whole mood of it. And it's just hilarious. I love it. It's wonderful. The people on the panel are all blindfolded
0: and they can only ask yes, no questions. And they asked if he's in various fields of endeavor. And he simply says yes to every question, even though the host shaking his head no like no you're not an athlete no you're not a writer but dolly says yes yes <laughs> yes he says yes, yes to everything
2: yes <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> it's so funny but it really is telling when you're looking at this man who really does not fit into any particular box
1: in any way like opera ah uh, like opera grant he says yes to everything <laughs>
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <does>. that's true
1: <laughs> he refuses to be constrained
3: he does he
0: he absolutely does well in this Perry you are the performer you sing a song from a Verdi opera Don Carlo and I will mention Opera for Everyone did a Don Carlo or Don Carlos episode because you're giving an Italian presentation our presentation was the original French when he first premiered it. Mm -hmm. Oh, anyway, it has a long history. And if you want to know more, you can listen to the Opera for Everyone, episode 70. And I recommend the extended version because there's more history in it. Ooh. (laughs) You have the baritone role of the dear friend, the very moral center, perhaps, of the show. Tell us about him.
2: What what I love mostly actually comes through in the music much like Dali with his references to his childhood home and his abstract self-portrait. As this man is on his deathbed he is giving instructions to Don Carlo of what he needs to do. In the middle of it the theme of their friendship comes back and brings back this feeling of oh my god this camaraderie this legendary friendship and this connection of legacy and it really carries through the entire thing and is Big solemn request, do not forget me. And I think with so many recalls to previous moments, Dali with so many references to his life and upbringing, those words just resonate very strongly and truly for me in my life and also in this episode.
0: Here is is Páris Sook singing Rodrigo's aria, The Death of Rodrigo in Don Carlo by Verdi. here Rodrigo. Of course. A passionate man.
2: Much like myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> well I want to think back to Rusalka and the influence of fairy tale because I, I know that when I looked at Rusalka a while back the influence of the stories not just Hans Christian Andersen but all of the stories swirling around mermaids or, or the creatures that live in the sea and all these folk tales and folk music got me thinking about the use of folk music and folktale in opera. Is that something you've encountered a lot in your experience with operas where you encounter folk music which seems like such a, a, a complete contrast to the very elevated style that we often encounter with the composers who are so educated and work so hard to craft these works but the folk music is is more more basic and just sort of more in the air of their various regions
3: so first of all if we're talking about traditions and preservating them it it's very important to notice that all russian music all of this is based on the folk music literally mm-hmm. every russian opera you've ever heard has some kind of folk motive Mm. And Russia is such a big country with so many different nationalities living there that classic composers such as Rimsky-Korsakov or Tchaikovsky themselves were going on the trips that was called folk expeditions. Oh, So, So they were traveling across Russia listening to those melodies and writing them down. So if we listen to The Snow Maiden... I don't think there is something original there. I believe there's all folk music just orchestrated. If we're listening to The Tsar's Bride of Rimsky-Korsakov, if we're listening to Eugene and Egin by Tchaikovsky, all the choirs are based on the folk music. <laughs> and you cannot avoid that in Russian culture that I represent.
0: Well, that's fascinating. That, so it's very self-conscious and something they embraced. And anyone in the audience would know this as well.
3: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's just, it just you cannot not hear this. All the flutes. When you hear the flute, you immediately think about this little shepherd boy in the Russian fields. Mm. When you hear harp, you think about traditionally when Russian bard is telling stories, he plays this little instrument that is called gusli, that looks like a little harp. So when you hear harp in the orchestra, you immediately imagine the bard being there. Mm-hmm. And it's just very interesting how the composers put the folk music into the classical orchestration.
0: Well, that's fascinating. Well, I know that composers, Italian composers, and composers from other countries also make use of folk music, but I'm not sure it's the same way that you're describing Russian composers use it. Sometimes it's used by way of contrasting different characters. I'm thinking, Grant, a little bit of how we heard it in the William Tell.
1: Well, in William Tell it also serves a explicitly nationalistic purpose, as binding together of the the Swiss nation and the idea of the Swiss coming to themselves as a people is part of what's going on with the folk music. It, it, is, it is used, again, in that, that way of referring to the history and invoking the history's power and the way that it binds the characters to the land and its traditions.
3: I think a lot of folk music you can hear in early classic operas such as Weber and Mozart. Freischulz by Weber has all these pastoral melodies that are indeed the folk music and Mozart did it Mm. a lot. Then moving to Italian music, I think it's a lot of songs from Naples, but I don't think they're quite as incorporated in the music as Russian operas, for example. Hmm. I, I suppose the more you know a culture,
0: the more you can even hear the folk music being incorporated that you might miss if you don't know that culture, so you would know it if you heard it and you might completely miss it if
3: you don't know Exactly, you just h- listen to it as if it's just a very beautiful melody and that's all right. You don't have to be yeah. an expert. You just need to enjoy and appreciate. Mm.
1: Well, that could go on the bumper sticker. There we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like you're promoting opera for everyone. Just listen and enjoy <laughs> it. Lisa, you were so kind to send me beautiful selection of you singing a Russian gypsy song. Could you tell us about the setting where you performed this before we listen to it?
3: I performed that on a national TV station. It's called Russia Culture and they have this monthly program that is called Romance of Romance (laughs) because as we know, romance is a different name of an art song. So that month it was art songs that were based on the folk music including some kind of gypsy songs and some people were singing this with the full orchestra but this song particularly is about a guitar which correlates with the mood of the person who's singing it meaning the guitar is hanging there and looking so sad. So am I very sad about my lover being very far away from me. And so when musicians heard me singing that, they were like, oh, we don't need the full orchestra. Let's just bring the traditional Russian interpretation of the Gypsy songs. So it is a beautiful guitar playing there and the accordion and bass. And it's just an ensemble of, I believe, six instruments that perfectly, perfectly showed the, this Gypsy song. I love it very much.
2: It's beautiful.
0: so much. You know, I love every kind of music, but that was so much fun. I love that piece. Thank you. Love that piece. Well, episode five of United Arts Studies is, uh, honestly, I love them all, but I think it's my favorite to date. You're back home in New York, and it's such a lovely setting because there on your coffee table is a framed picture of your little family. (laughs) Both of you and
2: Yes, yes, our our co-star for episode five. With this following, our true story, we got a dog during quarantine and we missed him very much in Russia. And uh, so when we returned, not only did we want to have him in our life, we wanted to have him in our art. So our co-star for episode five is our little dog Zuba, who could not have been a a better, more wonderful artist to work with.
0: (laughs) Always ready for his close-up for sure. (laughs) He's very photogenic.
2: And he dances. He does. He's, you know, he dances. You should hear him sing when we're warming up. It's, uh, it's, it's quite the show. He's, he's a triple threat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, his
0: dance, I think, resonates very nicely with the dancers from Matisse, who is the artist featured in
2: this episode. Very silly. <laughs> very, very, very smooth. No, I, 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 would, I would have to agree. I think there's so much joy and life in Matisse. And, and the, when he comes back from this horrific series of unfortunate events uh, to then create this art of these beautiful dancing forms with this you know, painting with scissors, uh, I think that joy resonates with all of us, including Zuba. I think you're exactly right.
0: <laughs> I love some of the comments you make about difficulties leads to the creation of new art which I feel is almost a summation of what happens with the circumstances that lead you to create these series of episodes.
2: Definitely. The feeling of this episode is that negative circumstances can have a positive impact, whether accepting them or overcoming them. And this series is a, a, perfect, example. a perfect example of that.
0: Yeah. And um, this is the first episode where you have two composers represented. Uh, you sing a piece, Perry, that is composed by Britton from Billy Budd. And we have Bizet's Carmen represented by Michaela's aria where she is essentially convincing herself she's not afraid of Carmen. And these are both such beautiful pieces. With the Billy Budd song, you are not in the apartment anymore.
2: Yeah, following following Lisa and I on our journey, uh, things were opening back up Uh, The the world was opening back up, and we wanted to take advantage of that. Rather than the home performances we were forced to do for the first four episodes, with the transitional performance in the car, we really wanted to put these back out into the world. So uh, mine takes place right on the Riverside docks in Manhattan, New York.
3: And when we were thinking about where can Michaela sing her prayer, we couldn't find a better place than the church. And we found this beautiful, I mean, we didn't find it. It it was right there all the time, St. Patrick's Church (laughs) on Fifth Avenue. (laughs) Such a beautiful place.
2: I think the visual aesthetics of this uh, really, really lend it to both giving the journey of Lisa and I, but really aiding in the comprehension of the feelings of these arias.
0: I'm gonna invite everyone just to go and listen to it and see everything that United Arts Studies has to offer. I watched this a couple of times and loved it each time and honestly saw different things each time that I watched it. It was beautiful. I loved each song and it's fun when you know the story of the opera to watch these pieces but it's not necessary. As you mentioned before the words are there what you need to know and you can enjoy them even without the words. They're just beautiful performances both of them and and it's so lovely to have them. And the conversation that you have both before and after these pieces, I think, is so wonderful as a summation of not just of, of what's going on in this episode, but what's going on in the presentation of all five of the episodes. But speaking about your conversation, you mentioned the recits before, and I was so interested in how you called them recits, that we didn't really talk about the the content and, and the way that you break into them, because they're oftentimes I'm seeing them as transitions towards your songs. But I think there's a little bit more going on there.
3: They are indeed a transition from the simple dialogue when we're just sharing our opinions to the arias where the words are not enough and we just cannot not sing. And yeah. this recit, we just combined our own words and put them on top of the classical melody that I found in the operas of the composers we sang. For example, if we go back to the first episode, I opened Giulio Cesare of Handel and I found those recit pieces and I just put them all together. I I like patched the melodies so they will fit the words that we want to sing. And I basically created the new recit out of the multiple recits of a particular composer. The recit of each episode belongs to the composer who we sing in that very episode.
2: Yeah, so, so if you think of our conversations as the base level of discourse, and then the arias as the personification of our feeling, the recits are indeed an exact middle step with our words placed on top of the music of the composers, very artfully by my wife, I might add, to transition us to, to go from base conversation to, to aria in the personification of our feelings
0: and that's why they they fit so beautifully it's it's so fun to watch it and you think sometimes when you're watching a musical you think oh wouldn't it be fun to live a life where people just burst into song and you think oh my gosh these people are living a life where they just burst into song
2: come come to our house anytime it actually happens
0: you make us believe it i believe it it's wonderful well I need to know what we're going to expect in the final episode, episode six. And please remind us when that premiere date is.
3: The premiere date is November 18th. At 7
2: p.m. Eastern.
3: As usual. (laughs) For those who follow. And it's going to be the ultimate culmination of all the five episodes we've seen before. It's going to be... Very, very beautiful, and we cannot wait to see this. I don't want us to, to, to spoil it, but it's just going to be something else, something new, something you've never seen before.
2: Yeah, if, if you view this series as, as our opinions and our expressions of both of our love for each other, but our love of art, episode six is, is a true finale of the, the first season, bringing all of that together in one beautiful duet. So that's, uh, that's, that's the, only, the only non-spoiler and opera spoiler you'll get.
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful. So no hint about the composer
2: then, huh? No, no. not. not. You'll just have to tune in.
0: <laughs> well, I will. <laughs> and finally, to finish off, a drink and a lullaby. We're going to listen to Elizaveta Ulokovich and Perry Suk in some excerpts you won't hear in the episodes of United Arts Studies. First, Perry sings Hamlet's drinking song from the opera Hamlet. Then, Lisa sends us off to sweet dreamland with a lullaby attributed to Mozart. But before I play the music, let me say, Grant, thank you for being my co-host, but mostly. Lisa, perry thank you so much for being our guest today on opera for everyone and we wish you every success and stay in touch with opera for everyone always
2: of course thank you so much for having us
0: thank
3: you very very much
5: So cool, do no cruel Noises,
0: episode of Opera for Everyone. If you've enjoyed our show and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Opera for Everyone podcast. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story, and a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable, because we believe opera is for everyone.